Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Pedagogy Matters podcast for the 2021-2022 academic session. The purpose of this podcast is to bring before some key topics of conversation in relation to learning and teaching, to discuss and break down aspects of practice, and provide snippets, advice and guidance as to how to integrate these into daily practice. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Walter Patterson, where we'll be discussing the research undertaken by the CDN Research and Enhancement Centre, which focuses on the digital capabilities of the workforce. Walter, good morning. How are you? Yes, good morning, Tony. I'm well, thanks. And I'm looking forward to this opportunity to go over some of the work that I've been doing along with CDN and with other researchers in your group to provide guidance and support for colleges as we go forward into whatever the next normal is going to be. No, that's fantastic. What I love that term, the next normal, you know, the, the term, the new normal or whatever is used throughout the pandemic. But the next normal, to me, really frames it as well, it's still going to change. It's just what is the next normal? What is the next normal? Yeah, yeah. And I think there's, there's no better way than, than, than kicking off um, the podcast series for this session than by looking at this research. And I think for context for, for listeners that may not have come across it, this was something that was turned around quite quickly. So from conversations really in April of this year, we start the research in May and conclude it in August. So I think if you don't mind, Walter, if you don't mind kind of sharing what was the research about, kind of how did you gather the information, kind of tell us a little bit about kind of where it started from your perspective, that's okay. The basic premise was that during the pandemic, we had been faced with demands on student, sorry, on lecturer digital capabilities that weren't fully anticipated in the frameworks that colleges had been using to inform their own digital strategies before the pandemic. So the first starting point for us was to actually look at those frameworks, the JISC digital capability framework that was very well known by all of the colleges, and also the Education and Training Foundation, the ETF framework, which is very popular with colleges in the South. And along with that, we recognised that there had been a publication of the Scotland's College's Digital Ambition, which is a very full statement of the ambitions of these colleges to not only have digital infused in all of their teaching and learning practice, but also to have it infused into most of what they were doing in, in terms of student support and what their professional staff were engaged in. So it really was a kind of whole college approach to digital. So we examined the strategies of these colleges, um, Johnny, and th that work was quite revealing because it showed that the strategies were quite different in their form, in their format. They were quite different in the way that they addressed the digital um, ambition of the college. At, at a local level. So these were the kind of basic documents that we had to, to start off and they formed the background of the a set of topic questions that we were going to use when engaging with the colleges. That all sounds really interesting and, and yeah I think we all agree that you know from the start of pandemic in March 2022 when we undertook this research which was really kind of May 2021 even though that was what say 15 months 
14 months. There was, there was a huge shift in progress over that time. I know you can identify this throughout the research about, around the digital strategies, um, but also by talking to people. You know, I think there was a lot of conversations with people in colleges to really understand what was happening on the ground, so to speak. So what else did you kind of find from, from that element there from those discussions, Walter? Yes, well, CDN facilitated these interviews with the colleges and uh, most colleges did respond. And it was quite interesting, Johnny, to be talking with senior staff in the colleges who had responsibility for digital in relation to learning and teaching. So I, I talked to vice principals of learning and teaching. I talked to faculty heads in some cases. In others, I, I was looking at the, the senior manager for learning technology in the college. So I, it was quite good to get that range of views, both from people who were more immersed in the technical aspects of it and, and those who were responsible for an oversight of effective teaching and learning as we were, went through the pandemic. So I mentioned a moment ago that we provided a topic list not not to constrain the conversation, but really just to give us some headline um, points to address in, in, in that conversation. So I called it a semi-structured interview because I, I just I allowed the individual um, interviewees to to take up whatever topics they felt were most important for them in, in the conversation. During those um, interviews, I took notes myself, but we did record those interviews and the transcripts then became uh, another important source of confirmation of what the key points were as we moved to the analysis phase. But, but that, that first stage of um, talking to people and, and listening to the stories was actually it was fascinating and it it, it was the really the most enjoyable part of it, just to hear what was coming through from the colleges about, you know how scary it all was for them, but how proud they were of what they had been able to do, you know in that short burst of activity in in April and May of 2020. No, that's great. And, and being part of a college myself at that point in time from March 2020, November 2020, yeah, I fully recognise firsthand, you know, the flip overnight to, well, how do we deliver now to X amount of students with X amount of staff, you know, and another college that I worked in, it's the same story with a lot of Scots colleges, they flip it overnight and there was continual training, continual development of both knowledge and awareness and all that, which is fantastic. And I know when we spoke earlier on in terms of the research, we were keen to really focus on the outputs around the wider workforce. So from the the interviews and the focus groups that you had, what were the key outputs that were derived from the from the research or from the findings? Do you mind sharing those, Walter? Yes, well, one of the things I was looking for, Johnny, was a sense of what had become the, the, the really key necessary skills that lecturer should have in order to manage groups that were online and remote from them. For, for, as you know, from, for some lecturers that 
wasn't a new thing because they'd been doing it for quite some time, particularly in the UHI colleges. But for many, this was completely new ground. So that, that first phase gave us a sense of what lecturers required and for them to be comfortable and effective in their delivery. But when, when we took that back to the focus groups to say here, here are the here's the, the competences that we think are the absolutely essential ones for ensuring that there's effective learning and teaching. The question came up, but what about support staff? What about professional staff? That question was asked of us. It was asked several times. And so I think we felt at that point that it was absolutely necessary that to produce a complete support and advice for the colleges, we really had to address this question about all staff digital capability. Yeah, no, no, I think that's great. And obviously the third output was was the key terms as well. And I know from other conversations, did this stem from maybe some of the digital strategies as well? In terms of the need for some key it, terms? Or? It, it did, yes. We were conscious of that before we began the work, yeah. you know, having examined the digital strategies, we could see that there were certain terms, high flex, hybrid, blended, for example, that were being used in, it seemed interchangeably at times. And in other places, it looked as though they were giving a different meaning to it than we had found in others. But in the interviews themselves, those terms surfaced again. You know, people were using those terms. And so I think it became clear that it would be helpful to the sector to just set out in, in some detail and with some examples too for them to, to look at. And along with that, I think it was your particular idea to look at, could we produce an icon or some representation of that skill that would appeal to you know make it immediately obvious so for example if we look at the cyber resilience uh, image that you produced it, it clearly shows that th there's something that helps you if, if you fall into the water there's going to be a life belt for you that gets you back out again so i thought i thought these were really really clever ways of in which we could um, introduce those terms and their definitions yeah no no i totally agree well and again I guess just for listeners who maybe haven't seen this, so to clarify, the, the three key outputs were a set of digital capabilities for lecturers, a set of digital capabilities for support staff, you know, for the whole range of support staff there as well. I know we talked at length throughout the process around support staff or curriculum support or professional services. There's lots of different terms used within the sector, but that could encompass HR, that could encompass marketing, finance, cleaning staff, catering staff. You know, mm -hmm. so I know kind of you and the research team develop some that can be like a pick and mix approach. And the third key output was um, a set of key terms. And you're right, obviously I, I shared my perspective of, of being in a college in the sense of I work with the ETF, Digital Teaching Professional Framework, I think it is DTPF, with the yeah. digital capabilities, which are, are great. But I guess my challenge, again, speaking really honestly, was when trying to engage with the wider workforce who are, are lecturers, so to speak, or teachers, 
in England or, or, or assessors or did whatever role that they undertake, sometimes when it was more than one or two pages, it, it just became too hard to make as part of their daily work because it's something else they've got to do. Well, it's kind of plan lessons, teach, mark, ring parents, ring employers, and all those different aspects. So I know we were keen throughout is how do we really, we really condense these? Mm-hmm. Something that's, uh, I'm not sure if the term bite size is right, but something that can be picked up and used within practice. And as you alluded to there in terms of the, the illustrations, which actually was Kenji's idea, but I'll help you take the credit, um, <laughs> was just to really bring these to life and make these pop out. So yeah, so for those that haven't seen, there's a series of outputs of which there are eight in total. And there are eight posters. You know, so there are a range of posters for the digital capabilities for lecturers, some with just the image, illustrations, some with illustrations and text to try and break down what they actually mean in practice. The same for the key terms. And again, with the key terms, uh, the phrase that I like to use is we're, we're trying to provide a common language relating to digital. Because even in our, our launch event, where unfortunately the technology failed us for 15 minutes, which just shows it happens these days, a lot of the conversation in the chat was, how are you delivering at this point in time? And there was a lot of colleges delivering the same way, but they were calling it different things, which yes, is fact yeah. because we've all learned this new language along the way. And I've done it myself. I've learned lots of new words, but I've used them in, in many different contexts, many different ways. And, and that has evolved for me as well. So the whole purpose was to try and provide this consistent viewpoint. And yes. I've it used earlier on um, uh, in development research was really holding the mirror up to the sector. So this isn't the research team or CDM providing anything new. It's just showing the sector back. This is what you've told us. Here you go in terms of digital capabilities. Here you go in terms of key terms. That's right, Johnny. Um, And what you say reminds me that one of the other elements of the work was we, when we had completed our findings for Scotland, we took them to colleges elsewhere, two in England, one in Ireland, Northern Ireland, one in Wales, and we asked them to, you know, compare those with their experiences. And and the one thing that came back from Sheffield College was that you can't be too basic. What they found when they were dealing with the the all staff um, training and, and development was that they had assumed a certain level, you know, we start at this level, but in fact, they had to go right back to the very basics. And I looked up the definition of baseline in, in Cambridge, and, and it says that it's the minimum level that is necessary in a particular situation. And and Kenji sometimes uses the term a starter set. So I think that's important for people to understand is that while some frameworks have got different levels, you know, from basic, intermediate, advanced, we we have decided that we'll present what that minimum level is. So if you're a new lecturer in a college, what's the minimum set of skills that you will need to be able to participate in, in hybrid learning? If you're um, joining as a member of admin staff or professional staff in a college, what's the minimum level that you need to demonstrate in terms of your digital skills? So I think that's that's what has governed our selection of the of, of the those eight items for 
for each of the lecturer skills and the all staff skills. No, I would, I would totally agree with that. I think that's one point really important to reference is this is a baseline. You know, we recognise throughout the, the research that some members of the workforce were undertaking or, or demonstrating these capabilities as part of their daily practice. Fantastic. But the big yeah, requirement now for the sector is for all of the workforce to be competent within all, all of these digital capabilities to then prepare the workforce for whatever's next. And I guess one of my one of my concerns is actually the digital divide amongst the workforce might get even bigger. You know, we're at risk of that now because I'm going to say the most capable have got even more capable the last 18 months. And we've got to kind of work collectively as a sector to make sure that the, the least capable digitally, you know, kind of develop yeah. their skills so that gap doesn't broaden even further. Because we know, you know, working in our colleges, we've got a huge amount of lecturers and they're all across that continuum somewhere in terms of very capable and that the less capable. And so how do we condense those? And hopefully this bit of work will, will give everyone that kind of basic starting point there as well. Yeah, that, that's interesting because some of the colleges did comment that they had to hold back, is the way they put it. We've had to hold, hold back, rein in some of the more adventurous lecturers who saw this as being, um, you know, giving them a, a kind of mandate to go away and do new things or explore new tools. And and uh, what the, the IT and learning technology teams were saying was, look, we can only support a limited number of platforms or applications, so just just go easy. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, and that's, a, that's a challenge. And that's the, I've always been one of those lecturers and the IT department hated me because I always want to try new things and new technology and new software. But actually, what I learned throughout my my career is actually let's keep it simple. No, I've used this football analogy far too many times, but it's like four four two in football. Keep it simple, get the <laughs> basics there, and get those working, and then you can add a bit of flair, you know. And I guess that's what I learned as I went through education, more so and work with my colleagues, just about being consistent for students there as well, you know. So that that's really interesting that element there, and that takes on the final part really, which is around where next. You know, so kind of where do we go now? I guess what are the risks? What are the challenges? What are the opportunities? So I'm keen to know any any of your thoughts on that. That what? Well, one one of the things that did strike me, Johnny, was that when we spoke with the student representation in one of the focus groups, there was a very strong pushback that students were not being involved enough in the decisions about digital. And, and that theme has come up in several other conferences that I, I've attended virtually in the last wee while. And, and I think it's something we need to take account of, that we can't just say to students, we're moving to platform X or Y and we're going to do, do it this way. I think colleges are going to have to, to sit down with their student associations or whatever their student representation is even even at a faculty level and say, can we co-create digital experiences that are going to be of value for our learning going forward as young people? Because don't don't forget that as well as the use of digital in, in the learning and teaching, these young people are also being shown how to use digital 
as part of their own working life. I mean, in some cases, they're actually being trained in the use of software, but if we look at the broader picture, it's about how does digital inform what I do in my, 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 my life, skills for life, and how does it inform what I will do in, my, in, in the skills that I need for work? So we've got to be conscious that the, the use of digital is serving a, a range of purposes as far as the students are concerned, and, and they should be brought into it. I think that's a really important point. And I think, I guess, with this kind of being new to a conversation, I would say the first port of call for me is, I'm going to guess colleges, lectures have kind of responded and, and done whichever way they think is best, kind of at that point in time, more reactionary. And I totally agree. Now, potentially, might be the first time post-pandemic that we have an opportunity of choice as to how we can deliver programmes. Maybe not in terms of changing platforms, but in terms of the approaches as to what's synchronous, what's asynchronous, and so on and so forth. And I think the hard bit, the hard bit is you often don't know. You only know what you know. You don't know what you don't know, if that makes sense. So to try and support, yeah. sounds like a little plug here, kind of, it isn't, but obviously on the back of Expo back in June, we're doing some action research, which will be sharing the scope of those action research in the next fortnight, back end of September. Excellent. Two, two yeah. of those topics in particular, one is around curriculum design, um, and the second is around high impact learning, because I think over the next two to four years, I, I've viewed this very much as that'll really shape what the future looks like. And I think a key part that underpins that world is exactly that, engaging with students. But for me personally, that might not be for another six to 12 months to really understand, well, what are the different options that we have? If I'm teaching level four computing, you know, for me to have that informed conversation with students might well be, look, these are your different options and, and try and, and pilot different elements there. But no, I think that's a really interesting point in terms of, I, I don't think anyone would disagree with us. No. What what you've said there about about uh, design is would have would have been my second point actually, Johnny, because the question that people were unable to answer was what stage are your lecturers at in terms of stepping back and looking at the design of their learning, you know, design for learning, and there was a general recognition that the next steps got to be looking at digital pedagogy so we can develop skills we know how to do that that's fairly straightforward every every college has got a whole plethora of different approaches to training and giving people access to online training and also one-to-one -one support in the colleges but it's that important point about you know how is it to be used what value is it going to have in the learning and teaching so looking at aspects of di digital pedagogy are going to be the next challenge, I think, for us in, in the college sector. I would totally agree. I guess as a case in point, my conversations with colleagues that I used to work with in England, you know, their appetite or their plan was to let's get back to face to face as much as possible, which is understandable. We've missed an interaction with students when you develop those skills. Mm. But actually, look, don't lose even all of those materials that you've developed over the last 12 to 15 months. Think about how you can build that into mm. your your course design, you know, so my background, sport, anatomy, physiology, there's been a lot of great videos developed teaching the bones and muscles. Well, actually, yes. when you give that as part of homework, use that as part of your start activity in class to give you then more time to consolidate, learn and correct misconceptions and, and really develop those skills. So it's about, 
that's a starting point for me is how do we not lose what we've developed use use materials you've already developed because time is a big issue for lectures absolutely i don't have time to generate both but use that to inform your pilots or your test with your learners now every college is different every department's different but that was my big risk straight away is let's just not go back to how we did it because that's the easiest answer you know let digital pedagogy you know we've, we've talked all around kind of digital capabilities but absolutely digital pedagogy is the next bit it's around what was working how are you doing it why and how could you do that better so no I, I totally agree and the final bit for me before i'm going to kind of steal your thunder here is around mindset which kind of alludes to what i've just shared there and i think what we as a sector need to do and whether it's tqfe providers colleges as part of induction is to really and, and our, our lecture develop more broadly is to get in that mindset around actually where can we use digital to enhance our curriculum offer, our, our curriculum development. But that also comes as a mindset change for lecturers out there currently, for managers, for vice principals. Because as you alluded to earlier, so I, I, I know you're kind of desperate to come in, is around kind of people on the ground. And I think when I was in a college throughout the pandemic, there was a misconception or at times there was a lack of understanding from those not necessarily on the ground as to what was happening on the ground, as to the real challenges lecturers were facing, never mind students. Sorry, Walter. No, I think you've touched on some very important points there, Johnny. There were several comments made in the interviews about the need for, for middle managers to have a better appreciation of what was capable through, through the application of digital so that they could have correct expectations of what the staff were were delivering for them and that they could then in the professional reviews they could give some form of direction that would help lecturers to say well where should I go next so the, the whole point about having a framework of capabilities and having some way in which we might measure those through a, a, either the GIST discovery tool or through any other tool that a college might create, uh, a set of questions, for example, that match to the baseline um, and skills that have been identified in this research. These provide some information that should help le lecturers to say, well, what's my next step? But they, they, they also need a manager who's sympathetic and who says, yes, I, I recognise what your next steps are and here's how we might provide the support and help for you. Yeah, I think it's context, isn't it? It's that context because now yeah. more than ever, you know, what, what, what a programme looks like may be very different to the colleague teaching next in the same curriculum area. Never mind if you go then across the college to a different curriculum yeah. area. You know, and yeah. I think... It's a really exciting position to be in, but also it's quite risky, you know, to kind of give that, not to kind of let go of the reins altogether, but to give that kind of professional autonomy and, and, and that mm -hmm. professional design to really embrace that creativity. And, and I think the key bit, which I've not touched on, which you did earlier, is around industry, is around meeting the needs of industry moving forward. I know from some conversation I've been part of Scotland IS, within the digital sector, that's, that's transformed ridiculously within the 15 months outside of the digital sector you know so it's important and i know all colleges are doing this is really aligning to industry and well, actually what does the future workforce look like and yes. embed through the digital capabilities and developments of of the workforce and then with our students there as well and within our programs 
know, so I think it, it's it's a huge element that, that needs to be part of our daily practice, which then transform or transpires within our curriculum with our learners and developing those digital capabilities for everyday life, not just for their their, their specific subject area. And uh, yes, along with that, we've got the requirement now for registration, GTCS registration for lecturers. And uh, the set of professional standards has a very lengthy section on, on the use of digital. So there's an expectation now that as part of a lecturer's professional development and, and the, 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 to be able to evidence that professional development in, in some form, then there will need to be some way of saying, here's where I am in terms of my digital capability. Um, they're, they are couched in very vague terms, actually, within the standard, but that shouldn't stop us trying to find some ways in which we might arrive at some kind of measurement of what those capabilities are. No, I think that's a really good point to mention there, Walter, as well, because I know you did a bit of work upon the conclusion of the research, kind of mapping the outputs to the professional standards as well. Yes. And that's a nice, neat tie to kind of to really bring this conversation, I'm not going to say to a close, but a close for today, because I know this will be the, the start point for many conversations moving forward. So really just to recap for, for listeners that maybe haven't seen the outputs, there's, there's three key sections for outputs. One is digital capabilities for lecturers, one is digital capabilities for support staff, and one is a set of key terms. So on the CDN website, there are eight different visuals which can be downloaded relating to those three sections, as well as a full research report that kind of what does the lead researcher pull together? Um, and I think really the, the key bit is, if you haven't done, or done so already, is use as a starting point, share with your colleagues, and as Walter alluded to there, really, this is part of professional practice. This is part of our daily practice. And it's really important that these now, if people aren't aware, use these maybe as a starting point. I know some colleges will have their own versions. Great, that's fine. This is really just trying to complement those. And as a, I've not used this phrase yet today, but I have done many times since I joined CDM, is an opportunity to look over the fence and see what others are doing and really either give that reassurance or try and direct the scope of your work. So Walter, thank you again for, for undertaking the research, but also thank you today for joining us and kind of really sharing these. And as I kind of alluded to before, this is not the end of this conversation. It's the start of many, many more conversations on this topic. And, and one for me that's really quite exciting. So thank you again, Walter. Thank you.